it's truly awesome that we get to do this. Like, we get to come together and worship the one and only true God who unites us through His Spirit with all those around the world. I mean, I'm just overwhelmed by that and thankful that I get to share this morning. Um, I'm going to be sharing out of Psalm 95. uh, And today begins just a mini-series that we're going to be going through for the remainder of August. And so it's called Summer Songs, and what we're going to be doing is just going through a different psalm and just teaching um, what it has to say. It's about the truth about God and His Word. And uh, this morning, again, I will be in Psalm 95. Um, As you're turning there, I just want to say just a couple things. First off, true worship. True worship is is, uh, rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. uh, But because of sin, because of this world, because of the devil, um, our worship is corrupted. Often uh, we find ourselves uh, frustrated in our time of worship because of these things. And so... Because our worship is corrupted, often we find ourselves chasing after people, places, and things um, instead of God. Instead of going to Him, we go to other things. And I said this before when I preached that we are experiencing within our culture just a worship crisis. It's the individualistic uh, nature of our culture uh, with social media, pop culture, and technology. Everything's just pining for our attention, and our praise. Look at us, look what we can do. Come to us, follow us, like us. We're bombarded by that. And so it's important for us this morning as we get into our Word and we learn from the Scriptures to understand our nature as a worshiper of God. And that worshiping God is the greatest need of our lives. It is the greatest need of our lives. This is what I hope to show you this morning as we go through Psalm 95. So let's open up there. Psalm 95, and let's read together. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is God's word. So what does this teach us then um, about the nature of a worshiper of God? As we go through, one of the first things we see is that we are to worship with emotion. We are to worship with emotion. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. 
let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. I've always said this, music, songs as we sing, it goes way beyond just mere words, but like our soul, it's our soul's expressing itself. And we see with music, music can stir emotions in us. It causes us to cry, causes us to laugh, it can cause us to reminisce. There is power in music because it's rooted so deeply in our emotions. We are created as emotional beings. We are meant to feel and express our feelings. And so I love it because when Jesus is approached and he is asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He doesn't simply say uh, to them, Well, follow God and serve people. Even though I, I know that probably like, Isn't that what he said? Isn't that exactly what he said? But I think often that's kind of how we, we sum it up. Okay, well, we'll serve God and, and we'll you know, follow God, we'll serve people. Sounds good. But Jesus, I love when you really look at his words, it's, it's intimate, it's deep, it's beyond that. He says, love, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, so yeah, I think we have this tendency of uh, making our relationship with God more, uh, maybe more robotic or formulaic. And so when God doesn't fit into that, we get frustrated. When people don't fit into that, we get annoyed with them. It's frustrating. Why won't you fit into this formula? But God, He wants us to engage with Him with all of our being, everything we have, with every emotion we have, as opposed to going through the motions. God is not interested in us simply coming and playing a part. Okay, well, I'm here. It's Sunday. You're welcome. No, that's not what he's interested in. He, he looks at the heart of man. He says, what's going on in there? And he wants your heart. And he wants you to expose that and to be uh, real before him, excited before him. So I have three kids, and uh, or we, I should say, my wife and I. We have three kids, and uh, our two girls, I love it. One of my favorite things is when I get home is to watch them kind of express their joy at least right now, as I, as I come home. <laughs> and so as I pull in and I get out and I, you know, I, I go in the house, they just lose it. They lose it. They're screaming. They're excited. Uh, Elsa usually starts dancing. I mean, it just gets weird. It's just like, okay, this is, this is awesome. Like, they're so excited that I'm home. And, and they're, play with us, play with us. I mean, like, you're home. Like, be with us. We're excited. We want to be with you. They just are so overwhelmed with joy. Now imagine what that would be like, though, if I got home and I'm pulling into the driveway and they're already, like, lined up. And as I get out of the car, in just very rehearsed fashion, they're like, Father, we're glad you're home. <laughs> First, I'd be creeped out. <laughs> you know, I'd just be like, get back in the car. But I also, I wouldn't want to really engage with them in the same way or the same manner as if they were actually genuine. And actually, like, they are excited to see me. Yes, I do want to play with you guys. I do want to be with you. And I think in the same manner and in the same fashion as a worshiper of God, we should approach God in that way as we come to worship Him. Because emotionless worship, it denies our heart's need to express itself before Heavenly Father. Now with that said, I think it's important to say that we have to also guard ourselves and each other 
from purely emotional worship. Meaning that our worship experience is based on how I feel. So if that's the case, if worship is based in on how I feel, then if I feel good, then my worship it feels good. If I'm feeling so-so, well, most likely my worship's going to feel so-so. If I feel bad, worship's not going to be good because I'm not feeling it. And that can lead to trying to have an experience as opposed to entering in the presence of the Lord, understanding our place before God, as opposed to saying, God, you... You serve me. We have to, and it's very important for us, and we see also in our text, we have to filter our emotions through who God is and what he has done. And we see this in verse 3, 4, and 5. It says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods, and his hand, I'm sorry, in his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. So this comes right after an emotional outcry of, God, you are awesome. We rejoice before you. We are excited to be with you. But we root that excitement in who he is. Because declaring who God is and what he has done and what he can do, that grounds our emotions. It centers them on the only one who can satisfy our every emotional desire. It grounds those emotions. We also see, as we look at our text, uh, that the psalm teaches that uh, we are to worship with humility. So look at verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. There is a posture that is necessary for a worshiper of God. And that's both an external but also an internal one. When you realize the worth of God and you give Him what He's worth. You realize the worth of God and you give Him what He's worth. There's this interesting uh, social experiment that was done, a New York City uh, rescue mission. They were trying to raise awareness uh, of just the ever-growing homeless population there. And so what they did is they had family members that dressed in old clothes, were sitting on the sidewalk in the path of their loved ones as they are going to get filmed to talk about their family, to talk about specifically even this, this loved one that's on the side, on the sidewalk. And so they go there, pass right by the loved one, they go, they do their interview. At the end of that, they're handed a laptop that's showing their loved one outside still. And they also are showing how they just walked right by them. And how overwhelmed and shocked people were that led to tears, most everybody, that they would go outside and embrace that person they loved. Because that first time they went by them, they did not see them because they did not value them. They didn't see them or see that person as someone of any worth. Therefore, they never looked at them. But when realized who it was, the value of the relationship that they had with that person, it changed everything. It changed their perspective. It led them to tears. And they, I mean, one person literally runs out to that their loved one and just like, I can't believe I just did that. I cannot believe I just did that. It changed their outlook. Do we realize the value of our God? Do we realize the value of our God? 
Look at verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. The psalm is inviting us to the great privilege of worshiping a great King, a great God above all gods. But what leads us? What leads us into a reverent, submissive position before the Lord? What leads us into that? Again, back to our text, verse 7. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. God did not pass us by. God did not forget us. He did not leave us but He brought us into a deep relationship with Him. He brought us into a deep relationship with Him. So the God of infinite worth, our great King, He showed us His great love in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were worthless, He died for us. He gave us worth through His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And what a beautiful, humbling reality that we get to live in as Christians. Sadly, there are many who claim to be Christian, claim to know God, yet they have not realized the value, the worth of Jesus Christ. And so day by day, they're passing Him by. They're passing Him by. And I pray for us as a church and for myself that that would not be so. That that would not be so, that we would not pass Him by that way. Thirdly, we see that we are to worship with our minds. To worship with our minds. Verse 8 through 11. Now this is uh, referencing, going back to Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt and how they wandered the wilderness for 40 years after God had delivered them. But look at verse 10. And it says, God loathed that generation. Why? Because they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known whose ways. God, my ways. God says, my ways. His ways. They have not known His ways. God's people, the Israelites, the very people He delivered, and He did so in a very awesome and dramatic fashion. I mean, it was huge. It was biblical. It was so massive that you can only describe it as a work of God. And these same people rebelled against God and did not worship Him for who He is and what He can do. Instead, they wanted to tell God who He should be and what He should do according to their own ways and their thoughts. This section of the psalm is a reminder to the church that we must take the Scriptures seriously. Believing and obeying our great King. This means we engage our minds as we study the Scriptures that we would know the story of God, that we would know the character of God. We would know the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord, Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, said to them in Philippians 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. So we have this worship, this declaration of like, come before God and worship Him. And then he says, let your reasonableness, so your practical, sensible, rational, level-headedness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. 
The Lord is at hand. He goes on then to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, what is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, engage your mind to the glory and worship of God. Engage your mind to the glory and worship of God. Now this is another area where we have to guard ourselves and and guard each other from. Because uh, purely heady or lofty worship quickly becomes prideful. It quickly becomes critical and often can be described as compassionless towards God and towards his people, specifically anybody who is more emotional. This is important for us. As we look at this and we see the nature of a worshiper is someone who is balanced and healthy. They are trying to find that center that God has put us on, that we would uh, worship him with all three, with our emotions, with humility, and with reason as part of our personal and corporate worship together. But why why does this matter? Why, Why should we even seek to do this? Why should we seek this kind of worship of God? And here's the thing. We are already doing this. We are already doing this with something or someone. We have a tendency of misplacing our worship very often. And we are drawn to a person, a place, or a thing that just grabs our attention. Now think of it this way. Or a question that you could ask yourself as you engage just in everyday life. Again, God being, praising God being one of the greatest things we could do with our lives. As we look at our life, we go, am I worshiping Christ or am I worshiping whatever this is? Am I worshiping Christ here or am I worshiping the recognition Am I worshiping Christ here or am I worshiping attention? Do I worship Christ in this or do I worship my wealth and my status? This can go on and on and on. And the reason why this list is extensive is because we all struggle with misplaced worship. Again, going back to what I said before, we're in a crisis where worship's become this buzzword and it's just been hard because of sin for us to fully wrap our minds and engage with God. But we have to understand it is a process that you have been bought with the price through Christ and he has given you the gift of eternal life. He's given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit works in us in such a way uh, where he progresses with us as we grow mature in Christ and he leads us into this place where we are able to be a more consistent worshiper that's more balanced. It's an area of growth. Just a quick example. Um, Again, going back to the Israelites in Exodus uh, chapter 32. So they have seen God do amazing things. He has delivered them. They are now wandering through the wilderness. God has given Moses the Ten Commandments. He's given him his law. So Moses is is actually receiving these things, and while he's doing so, while he has gone up to 
God. He's okay, I'm going to go talk to God. I'll be back, okay? Hold on a little bit. While he's doing that, it says in Exodus 32, verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. They then proceed to make themselves a golden calf that they worship, that they sing praises to. True worship is transferring our misplaced worship from something or someone to worshiping God. And we have to guard ourselves because here is another example, which is why the psalm, look back, look back at what happened here. They wandered. They went astray in their heart because they wanted a God that would go before them as opposed to entering in the presence of God, going before Him. So, the practical now, how can we actually apply this? How do we actually apply these things? We see that, okay, here's what the nature of a worshiper is like. We see that through the text, but then how do we apply this? How do we apply this to our lives? How do we do this and live in such a way that we are balanced worshipers of God? And I think there are three ways in which we do this. Um, And the first being that we do so in spirit and in truth. We do so in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to a woman about worship. And he says to her, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And then the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Notice how the spirit and truth are inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. With so many who claim to be spiritual, yet lack a gospel understanding of truth. And so they're seeking to be spiritual and seeking to do these things, but they're lacking truth. So they're off balance. There's so many who pursue truth, but deny the Spirit of God and His power. Going back to our text, look at uh, the first half of verse 2. Let us come into His presence. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Again, noticing that the difference there. The Israelites wanting to make gods that would go before them, that they would worship, that they could dictate, that they could speak into, as opposed to us humbling ourselves, coming before God in His presence who dictates and says, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to love. This is how you are to follow after me. But how is that even possible? How is it possible for us to come before a holy and righteous God and enter into his presence? How else then but by the very Spirit of God himself? Let me ask you this. What makes our service 
a worship service? Is there music? Is it the sermon? Is it communion or giving? Is it this building? Is it because we just said so? Like what makes our service, our gathered time together, a worship service? I would say it's none of those things apart from the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who makes our service a worship service. It's the Spirit of God who leads us here. It is the Spirit of God that inhabits the praises of God's people. It is the Spirit of God who gives us understanding and insight into the Holy Word of God. It's the Spirit of God who works in our hearts as we come to the table to receive communion and as we give an offering. It is the Spirit of God who does that work. Paul, in his letters to the Roman church, he describes worship in the Spirit in this way. He says in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 14 and 15, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That is a cry of worship. A cry of worship that is based on the Spirit of God revealing to us the truth of Jesus Christ our Lord. Spirit and truth. Secondly, we see as we seek to apply these things to our life to be a balanced worshiper, is that we are to fellowship with His people. We are to fellowship together. Look closely at our text again this morning and notice all the pronouns that are used to describe our worship. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to the Lord. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. Without the body of Christ, our worship is one-dimensional. It is not truly balanced. And unfortunately, there are many who like to lone wolf their Christianity. I don't need the church. You know, like, they're just a bunch of hypocrites anyways and sinners. I'm like, hello. (laughs) Yes, we know this. (laughs) But they're missing out on the wholeness of worship that God desires for them to have. God's people as we worship together, it's only through interacting with each other that we're able to draw things out in one another that you just wouldn't on your own. Or that you would with just one other person. So there are things that um, that you guys will, that I will draw out in you and that you will draw out in me that I never would apart from you. And that will enhance my time of worship. That will draw me into a place where I am just thankful that I have a family family that cares, a family I can worship with, a family that uh, desires that um, I would be closer to the Lord. And that's my desire for you. I always found it funny, the whole lone wolf mentality. Because it's like you just you don't see this in like nature. 
Like, there's a reason why wolves are in packs. A wolf cannot survive on its own. It's a fact. A wolf will die if it's not in a pack. We need to be together. I also think it's very fitting that uh, Peter in his letter says that the devil is like a lion. He's like a lion who wants to kill and destroy and to steal everything from you. Well, how do lions hunt? It's interesting when you actually see that kind of stuff where it's like, oh, they don't just like run into a herd and just, but they surround a herd and they spook the herd until one from there leaves. And once one has left the herd, they attack and they kill. It's important for us to understand that we need each other. Now, certainly there are scriptures that speak to cultivating a relationship with Christ that is deeply personal and intimate, but I believe that those times are to equip us to ready our hearts for the gathering of God's people, both here but then in glory with God. We are training ourselves to be a people who are uh, just joyful to be in the presence of God, even now. Even now, knowing that then, with Him in glory, we will be in His presence uninhibited by sin. We'll be face to face with our God, and with one voice we will cry together, Abba, Father, in praise and in adoration of our King. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a people chosen by God to proclaim the excellencies of our God together. Together. So again, as we seek to apply and live a balanced life as a worshiper of God, we do so in spirit and in truth. We do so by engaging in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And lastly, we do so by resting in Christ as our Lord and Savior. By resting in Him. Look at, uh, or I'm sorry, what was the result of God's people going astray in their hearts and not knowing God's ways? Verse 11 says, Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They will not enter my rest. And what did Jesus promise to those who have labored, and who are tired, and who are weary? What did He promise those people who would come to Him? He says, I will give you rest. And He describes that rest. What kind of rest is that? It is rest for your soul. That is a deep and abiding rest. Now think of all the unrest we face. I mean, think of the unrest that's found in families torn apart by divorce, the unrest that is caused by substance abuse or pornography. Think of the unrest created by death. Think of the current state of unrest just our nation is in and all the violent crimes that we're, we're seeing. Think around the world. 
of just all the unrest that's going on. Or maybe just even personally, you just think about in your own heart and mind, there are days where you just are, have no rest. Your mind is going a million miles an hour, and you feel out of control. I just, what is going on? None of that compares to the unrest that was experienced by Christ on the cross. Jesus became the worst sort of unrest so that the Christian could experience deep, abiding rest that satisfies the soul. This is the kind of rest we're desperately seeking, is it not? I mean, this is the kind of rest that we're just, I want that. I seek that. I need that. Often, that is the root of why we are worshiping all these other things than God. Maybe this thing, this person, maybe that destination, that will bring the peace that my soul so desperately needs. The peace my soul so desperately desires, it so desperately wants. But that kind of peace is only found in Christ and in Christ alone. So I invite you to come into that rest. Come into that rest. Rest in Christ and the work that he accomplished on your behalf. We could not have done it on our own, nor can we earn it. It is a gift given to us by Jesus Christ our Lord. So I invite you into that as we continue in a time of worship through music, as we come to the table for communion, as we give an offering. I invite you to do all those things with emotion, with humility, and with reason, with a renewed mind in Christ. Let us seek to worship Christ in spirit and in truth, in fellowship with one another. Fellowship with one another. And let us rest in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only one worthy of our attention, the only one worthy of our adoration, the only one worthy of our praise. So, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. We are the people of His pasture. This is the invitation we have received from Christ. This is the nature of of a worshiper of God. And this is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our gathered time, Lord. That it was set up by you. That you are now here with us through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord God, as we continue to engage with you and with one another, we would do so with all of our being, knowing that we have been renewed in Christ. We have been made new, made alive. And we've been made alive to worship, to worship you above all other things. I do pray, Lord, that you would reveal to us, just in our personal lives, but also as a church, how have we 
not worshipped you? How have we sought other things beside you, Lord God? Are we worshipping Christ or are we worshipping this other thing? And I pray you reveal those things just with your, through your compassion and mercy, Lord, and that you would humble us, you would give us an understanding that we would be able to uh, balance ourselves out in a way that uh, we can worship you fully, we can uh, enjoy you just the best that we can, Lord God, the way you designed it. I thank you for this psalm, Lord God, and I thank you how um, even historically it has been used to show the church how to worship you, Lord. And I thank you for it today. I thank you that it all leads to our Lord Jesus. God, thank you that you love us, you never leave us or forsake us, and God, that as a body, as a, as a family, God, we are able, we get to worship our God and our King. Let's praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, there it is. So every week we do communion together. We come and we are reminded um, of what God has done for us, how his body was broken on our behalf, and how his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as we come this morning to the table, as you come, First and foremost, this is for the believer. This is for those who say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now that being said, I invite any one of you who have not done that to confess and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and to join us as a family in partaking in this, in remembering who God is and worshiping who He is and what He has done and what He can do in your life. So we do that together.